We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. I wanted to give a special welcome to any Gotham Chess-inspired new listeners. Here on Perpetual Chess, we often interview top players, authors, and content creators. But once a month or so, I like to spotlight an amateur. The series has long been called the Adult Improver Series. We often place an emphasis on what people are doing to get better at chess, um, how how they're studying, what tips they can share. But sometimes we just like to hear about the role that chess plays in the life of a chess amateur. And today's guest has a compelling story in that regard, and we will introduce him in a minute. But first, I did want to give a few shout outs. Number one, I always like to give a shout out to the Patreon subs. They help keep perpetual chess going. So in particular, I wanted to thank recent new subs, Leland, Leela Baldwin, Ben Stotts, Minnie Mike, Jim Girardu, and Mike Sawant. Of course, uh, Patreon subs can access the Perpetual Chess Discord community and get access to ad-free Perpetual Chess episodes. We occasionally do special events where trainers uh, present lessons and do Q&As. So um, would welcome any new members, of course. Um, I also wanted to mention that if you're interested in being a guest as an adult improver, or if you know someone who you think would make for a compelling guest, I do have a Google form that you can fill out, submit your information. That's actually how I heard the story of today's guest. And I wanted to make a special request that I'm going to be doing an episode about getting to 1,000. So if anyone is recently achieved the rating of 1,000, 
um, or is close to getting there and trying to break through, I'm going to be doing a multi-guest episode sort of highlighting those stories. So if you if that is of particular interest to you and you think you might be a fit, please do fill out the form. I might not respond right away. Couple other things to mention before we get to our guests. Uh, number one, there's an Adult Improver playlist on Spotify. So if you want to go through the back catalog, that's an easy way to do it. There's also an Adult Improver dedicated webpage that I will link to. And last but not least, before we get to the show, I've got to give a shout out to our presenting chess education sponsor, chessable.com. Levy Rosman's got a new course. There's a fun new course called Queens of the Chessboard by Luciana Morales, highlighting some of the best female players of all times. And just wanted to let you guys know that I have a list of my favorite chessable courses, some of them, I can't even name them all, with rating guidelines. So I'll link to that as well. But without further ado, let's introduce our guest. So he is a 25-year-old chess enthusiast who is a grad student in psychology and a member of the U.S. Armed Forces as a logistician. And he's got a great story to share about the power of chess to bring people together. Um, so I'm excited to welcome to the show, Chris Duncan. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Ben. Thanks again so much for having me. Yeah, excited to chat. So, Chris, why don't we take it from the beginning? Um, I know that a lot of people might have similar stories about how chess uh, came into their lives. I know that you did learn uh, at a school program, but let, let's hear about that. So you got introduced to chess as a kid, and then it quickly fell to the back burner, if I understand correctly. Yeah, it did. Uh, turns out losing every game you play in the second grade chess club, um, not the most you know motivating factor. Um, so that did fall to the wayside for a while, uh, focused on other things um, all through high school, all through college. Um, but once the Queen's Gambit came out, um, I, my interest started to peak again. And that was actually from my younger brother who watched the show first. Uh, and he started getting into it, playing with his friends. And we were both home. He was home from college and I was home on leave. And he you know, offered like, hey, do you want to go play a chess game? I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Sounds like a good time. Uh, and he whooped me pretty good. <laughs> um, and of course, as the older brother, I don't like losing to the little brother. So I had to go and turn around and start studying my tail off just to... Uh, come back the next time I was home and whoop him. Uh, and it's kind of turned into a lifelong competition between us. Every time we're, we're home together, we'll sit down and play a quick game somewhere. And I think our record's pretty close to even at this point, um, but I'll get him, you know, in the years to come for sure. Nice. That's the best. I often say I love the days. A, first of all, when your brain hasn't been sullied by like all these chess books and videos where you realize that like, oh, wait, everyone's figured like all this stuff out before that I thought was my own idea. Yeah. Um, and number two, it's especially fun when you have someone that's an even match when you're in those sort of early days, because like then the stakes feel immense. I mean, it can also feel that way when uh, it's someone who beats you all the time. But let's face it, chess is an unforgiving game. You know, if someone's better than you, they're almost always going to win if there's like a, a wide range. So mm -hmm. it's great when they're um, an even match. Absolutely. So Chris, like you said, you got into it then. And then what were your next steps when you said, all right, I got to I got to study up for my brother. How did you um, how did you approach learning about chess? Yeah, so I came back down to North Carolina, um, was getting back into the swing of things at work. And I think it just randomly came out. We were talking about TV shows at work. And it turns out that one of the senior officers that I worked with um, had actually been on the West Point chess team. Um, so, you know, during lunch, I'd come down and hang out in his office and we'd play a game of chess and he'd give me, you know, little pointers here and there. It was never any super intense coaching, but just that little bit of help, um, you know, that, that he would provide. And then some of his other teammates would come down early beginners like myself as well. We'd play a game. He'd coach both of us and, you know, we'd go back and forth, you know, every day at lunch. Um, and from there, it just kind of got me hook, line and sinker and kept me going. So the West Point chess team, is that the chess team for the armed forces? I believe when 
they talk about the army chess team, for example, uh, I think it does refer to um, that particular group of people. And I think there's a separate United States NATO chess team uh, that will go to like the international tournaments, uh, but I, I could be wrong about that. Okay. Yeah. And I know there is a, a rich history, obviously, chess being a strategy, war-based strategy game. If you go way back, obviously, there have been a lot of uh, strong players who've um, who've come through the various armed forces. And uh, I know they have like an armed force championship as you get more into it. But but what, what you've described to me is more like sort of grassroots level, which, of course, I appreciate. So um, how what else did you see in terms of uh, people playing chess when especially when you were um, on location, but also uh, just generally? Yeah. So it, it was interesting, especially with the Queen's Gambit boom being stateside. Um, a lot of people were picking it up, you know, onesies and twosies. So I play with some of my team. Um, when I switched units, I had a, a bunch of my soldiers really enjoyed playing. So we'd, you know, get together during lunch or we'd stay after on certain work days. We had a little unit wide chess club going. Um, and then we ended up uh, deploying to Poland uh, around this time last year um, in response to everything that was going on. Um, and while we were there, um, you know, we didn't have a lot to do. It was a pretty foreign environment to all of us. We weren't really able to go out and explore, especially early on. So we needed to find something to entertain us, you know, take up some time. Um, so I had a little travel chess board and, you know, the dudes that I was on night shift on when we were over there, we'd flip it out, we'd play and um, get the shift change. You know, we'd play with the day shift guys. Then the night shift would always, you know, we'd win because we were fresh, we were rested, but uh, they'd come back in the morning and they'd whoop us pretty good too. Um, <laughs> so it ended up being one of those things where it was kind of fueled by necessity, if that makes sense, where, you know, there's not that much else going on. You're surrounded by work 24 seven. And it's just one of those things you can, kick back, relax, even if it's just for 10 minutes with some people and, you know, take a load off at the end of a long day. Yeah. sounds like a nice way to relax. Now, let me ask you, Chris, when you mentioned uh, things heating up, um, and I know that some military matters are sensitive. So um, if, if you can't say anything else, that's fine. But was this in relation to uh, Russia invading Ukraine? Yeah. So we, in response to that, we went over to Poland. That was part of the uh, the assurance mission, just to, to let our NATO allies know that we were, you know, we're there, we're here to support you guys, um, kind of deter further aggression, things of that nature. Yeah. And were you like uh, nervous about heading over there? Yeah, it, it was my first real trip going anywhere, um, especially with the ambiguity about the situation. It was, you know, it, it's always a nerve wracking experience, but, you know, I was surrounded by a fantastic team. Um, I was really lucky to be with the, the particular group of people that I was. Um, so that was definitely a, a reassuring facet. Okay. And in terms of the activities that you engaged in, I, of course, wholeheartedly endorse chess as one of the choices, but um, what, you know, what else would be allowed? Like you hear stories about like firemen playing hearts while they, you know, are in the fire station, stuff like that. Like, um, were there other games you guys were playing to pass the time? Uh, the army traditional game is spades. Um, so you're okay. not too far off with your, your hearts metaphor there. Um, and usually if there was a chess game going on one table, there was a spades game going on on another, you know, propped up on an MRE box or something like that. Um, and are you going on any, uh, spades podcasts? No, unfortunately, no one wants to have me on. So I guess chess okay. will win yet again. Um, <laughs> All right. Glad but, to hear. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, between the cards, the chess, um, I think later on in the deployment, I know the uh, the folks at Wizards of the Coast will send like Magic the Gathering card sets. Over yeah. Typically, um, they're, they're a pretty big supporter in that regard as well. Um, so that that was cool. That started to pick up on the back end as well. Yeah, big overlap between uh, Magic the Gathering and other games, as I that, talked about with uh, adult yeah. improver Kyle Bodie. Um, who, who had that background, but yeah. Um, so 
so you're playing these games and uh so you end up you've got an online rating that you've said vacillates between like 800 and 900 is is that sort of where you were at that time as well chess wise just about um i'd say throughout the course of those couple months that we were there I, i definitely improved um what it actually ended up being i don't know i wasn't really playing online at that point so i guess i subjectively i felt like i improved objectively couldn't really tell you but i was probably on or about that range um maybe just a little bit higher depending on the day. Okay. And I know you've read a couple chess books. Like um, when did you, so when did you start aside from like, and at that time, as we described, it's sort of a fertile period where you can learn just from, you've played so few games that every game you might learn something new, just figuring it out for yourself. Absolutely. But were you uh, doing anything while you were stationed to uh, pers- to try to further your knowledge? Yeah. Once, once our access to technology started expanding a little bit more, we were able to get um, some cell phones over there. So of course I got the, the chess.com app and I was able to, to work the puzzles. Um, that was a, a pretty big piece of it. Um, also going through, um, like you mentioned, I had access to a couple books. I had Bobby Fisher teaches chess um, and two of the Yasser Sirwan, Jeremy Silman um, uh, play winning chess series uh, that my mm-hmm. brother was able to send me, um, which I wholeheartedly endorse those books for a beginner. They were outstanding, helped me a ton. Um, but between, you know, the puzzles and just kind of those basic fundamental books, um, that was really where I spent the majority of my time. Okay. And Bobby Fisher teaches chess. I was lucky enough to interview uh, Bobby Fisher's co-author, Dr. Stuart Margulies. And it somewhat famously is one of the few chess books where you don't need to know notation. They were kind of ahead of the curve in designing it that way. And actually, Levy Rosman has mentioned that his book is going to uh, mimic that style, which I think is a great idea. But the Sarawan books, of course, do use algebraic notation. So um, as you got to that, did you how did you figure out the notation, Chris? I think I'd already been familiar with it at that point. I've been playing for probably around a year uh, on and off as I was learning more. So having seen some YouTube videos, listened to this podcast and you know maybe some others, um, it was more familiar than not. It took a little bit to get the muscle memory down on it where it was, I'd have to like do a little bit less square hunting if that makes sense. But right. it was just really practice with it and it clicked pretty quick. Okay. And did you do like chess.com? I often for newer players recommend like their vision trainer where it, you know, shows you a square and you have to click on it and you try to get like up your score on it. Did you mess around with that at all? I've messed around with it a couple of times. Um, it never was really part of any sort of regimen or anything, but I, I did, you know, if I was bored hanging out, I'd, you know, play around on it. Okay. And the atmosphere you describe uh, where you are trying to get your game better, but you've also got like a tight knit group of people who you play. So were you trying to keep your pursuit secret? Like, I feel like in your situation, I might be like, I want to get good, but I want to surprise them, you know? No, they'd actually, they get mad at me because while I was on night shift, I'd be able to, you know, set up my whole board. I had a a pretty big one later on um, that I was able to purchase on the economy there. Um, So I'd have this big chess board set out, you know, on the table. Uh, I'd be like, you know, playing, practicing through, you know, positions or whatever. And they'd come in for the, the shift change brief at seven in the morning or whatever it was. And they'd look at me just playing chess and they'd be like, we have a whole day of work ahead of us. And you're, you know, over here playing chess, like, come on, man. Um, but they, at the same time, you know, I'd, I'd come by in the middle of the day every once in a while and they'd be in the back room with the board out, you know, playing as well. So it, it was evenly matched no matter how much uh, any of us complained. <laughs> Glad to hear it. And then I know, Chris, that this story sort of takes a turn. So I don't know if there's any more like background you want to establish before you bring in another country's chess players, but I'm definitely excited to hear you tell the full of that story because I only know what you emailed me. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I guess the only other little bit of backstory we need was once we kind of expanded the group that we were playing with on the American side, um, we decided to have a on-base internal tournament, you know, for the American soldiers that were there because we knew a couple dudes in the other units like to play as well. Um, so as we were thinking through the logistics, we realized, hey, we don't have boards, we don't have clocks, you know, we really were not equipped to do this, but it would be a ton of fun. Um, so, you know, on a whim, I reached out to the uh, NATO chess president, um, who happened to be based in Warsaw. Uh, so I figured I had a you know pretty decent chance. And I, you know, I shot him an email and said, hey, sir, like, you know, we're here, we're stationed uh, in your country. We've got a bunch of dudes that really enjoy playing chess. Is there any way, you know, the, the organization might be able to, to help us out, um, you know, get some boards, some clocks for this tournament that we want to do? And um, he wasn't able to help us out with that per se, uh, but he was able to link us in with some of his, um, you know, Polish military counterparts who uh, invited us to the tournament that I emailed you about, um, which was a, one of their unit internal tournaments that they were super gracious and uh, asked us to come play in. Okay, yeah, and you actually, we had a Patreon mailbag question from uh, Jim Sutherland asking exactly that of how you got the the chess sets. So it's good to uh, to shed some light on it. It would be great if there. I think Jim mentions it would. First of all, he also, I should say, it said thank you for your service, uh, which you. I echo. Um, but it would be great if there were some sort of uh, system in place to to make it um, more streamlined in the future. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's bring it back to as you were saying. So. So you do an internal tournament. Um, and how, how did the tournament go, by the way? Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a little bit shambly because, like I said, it was we weren't able to get those externally sourced resources for ourselves. Um, so we everybody had their, you know, onesie, twosie chess boards that they'd picked up on the town. You know, we had some dudes playing on my little flip magnetic set that I had brought from home. Um, I was running the tournament with an Excel sheet and no knowledge on how to run a tournament at all. The time control was basically just a suggestion. Um, but everybody had a ton of fun. Uh, we were able to get some awards for the, uh, the, uh, the guys that won, uh, which was, you know, super fulfilling. They were really excited about it. Um, and we were right. able to draw from that pool and, and bring them to the Polish tournament. Uh, those, those top players. Fun. What, what were the prizes? Um, like, like military awards. Um, Oh, cool. Kind of thing. Yeah. Like I'm- little ribbons. And I'm guessing it was free. You're not. You're not having. Oh, absolutely not. No, we're not exhorting the uh, the soldiers over there. <laughs> okay, excellent. Um, so, okay, so what happens next? Yeah, so we had probably a month in between that the internal tournament and then the Polish one. So we got the list of names for the individuals that wanted to tag along. You know, we let them know it was a, a rapid tournament. It was like a I think just ten minute game, basic time control. Um, so we let them know like, hey, learn how to play on a clock for real this time. You know study up, do what you want to do, learn whatever, and we'll, we'll head down. So we're able to arrange transportation, get down to the the town. It was about an hour away from where we were based at. Um, got down there, set up for the day. And I think it was around 11 of us, I want to say that came along to play on the American side. Um, and I think it was somewhere around 20 of the Polish military and their families, which was super cool that they had the families come out as well. Um, so and, you know, in response to how we got the boards and the clocks and so on, they had everything like, you know, I, I have purchased some uh, chess boards and so on for my unit back home. But these guys were fully equipped. They had all the clocks. There were like 18 boards or something like that, like fully stocked, ready to go tournament prepped. Um, wow. it, it was it was really impressive. And these are like um, vinyl chess boards with like the sort of classic Staunton ones that you would have like at a school chess club. Exactly. Yep. 
Okay, yeah, because because back in the day, you know, I feel like a lot of school chess clubs had the sort of chintzy like pressman chessman <laughs> board that like folds and opens and has the tiny little pieces. But I feel like that's one thing that I've seen grow in the course of my life is like even every school chess club has those sets, which I remember when I was a kid seeing one and being like, oh, now that's a real chess set. That's what I want to play on. Yeah, it was it was super cool walking in and seeing that because, you know, you hear about chess and the history that it has, especially in, you know, countries like in Eastern Europe and that sort of region of the world. Um, so it was kind of, you know, on a whim that I thought that you're going out on a limb, I should say that, you know, I figured like, Hey, maybe we can get involved with these people. It'd be a great way for us to bond with the Polish. Um, and turns out we were right. They were super excited, super ready to go. Um, so we were super, super lucky in that regard. Okay, yeah, and I have heard that chess is pretty popular in Poland. Obviously, you've got uh, Jean Krzysztof Duda, one of the top 20 players in the world. And actually, my first adult improver interview was with uh, Andres Krzysztof, who's a um, Polish amateur. And uh, from the the few Polish people I've interviewed over the years, I have heard that chess is uh, pretty popular there. So I'm yeah, guessing sure. you guys had your work cut out for you in the match. Yeah, it was um, it was humbling to say the least. Um, they they really came out swinging for sure. Um, yeah, between the 20 of them, I think I probably played two thirds. It was a nine round tournament. So six games against, um, Polish. And I was probably right at the beginning. And then as we started, you know, progressing and the ranks started sorting themselves out, it was more and more Polish playing Polish and Americans playing Americans toward the back end. Um, <laughs> it, it was a pretty stratified playing field. Um, but there were, I'm trying to think it may be like a 10% overlap in the middle there. So our really strong players were able to kind of nestle in at the bottom end of their players. Um, but it was, it was still like, even though we were getting our butts whooped, it was a ton of fun. Glad to hear it. And obviously, I mean, to me, the rating is, it's pretty irrelevant in this context, but as a chess player, I still can't help but wonder. So um, looking back, if you were to assign a rating to the strongest players, uh, what, what do you think it would be? Uh, the strongest Polish player, I would say probably easily in the 2000s. Um, if I remember correctly, the the host of the event said that he was going to go play in the NATO tournament later that year. Um, okay. So he was he was legit. Um, yeah, these are serious players. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I, I think our highest rated that we brought was like 13, 1400. So it was, yeah, it was a pretty big difference. Okay. And did they, for the most part, speak some English? It was actually few and far between. Um so some of the younger guys did, um, and there, it was a pretty big age range, age range as well. Um, but the younger dudes that were closer to my age uh, spoke decent English, um, but there were some kids there that didn't speak a lick of English. And then some of the older guys, again, not a lick, um, which was, it, it was challenging in a way, but at the same time, once the clock started running, like the language barrier didn't matter. You were there to play chess and that was it. Um, and that was a very universal language for all of us there. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's as I often say, that's the beauty of chess. I mean, when I was teaching a lot of school programs, that's what I would tell kids is like, and I see you have a guitar behind you. I would, I yep. would tell kids like, uh, <laughs> I would tell kids like, you know, chess and music are the things that like, you know, you learn them and then you go wherever you want to go and you can, you can find people that you have something in common with, whether you can communicate or not. Yeah, and the really cool part about it was that we took an intermission right in the middle. I think it was after the fourth or the fifth round of nine. Um, so we broke away and earlier on in the tournament, like when we had, you know, breaks between games, it would have been the Americans clustered around each other, talking to the Americans and the Polish on the kind of the other side of the room. And again, pretty separated. But once we started playing, we started getting into our grooves 
know, we took a break, went down to the break room and then we were there, you know, chatting, talking with the guys, um, Polish American, everybody meshed together. They were playing games of pool, um, just hanging out with the ones that were, that were able to, you know, speak English with us. And then the rest were still like, they were there, they were involved, they were having a great time. Um, and honestly, I think that was the biggest kind of shifting point for me because it stopped being about chess at that point and started being more about connecting with these people. Um, you know, we'd been in their country for a couple months at this point. Um, you know, we'd done some training alongside them leading up to this and getting the chance to really just wind down and relax and get to know this nation that was super generous and hosting us, um, incredibly welcoming and kind and, you know, getting to kind of, you know, just take that load off with them was absolutely huge. So coming back, you know, the back half, I was off my competitive edge and I lost every single game in the back, you know, <laughs> the back four or five rounds. But um, I think I had the most fun there just laughing with the guys and, and playing. That's awesome. And did you or did anyone notate any of the games? No, um, I don't think, at least on the American side, I don't think any of us uh, would have even known what to do if you put a pad and paper in front of us. Um, it, it was a really, as professional as it the setup was, it was a very laid back tournament. Um, there was definitely a point in which I had the, my, my opponent in check for two or three moves, nobody mm -hmm. noticed. Um, so we just kind of looked at each other, paused the clock, tried to, you know, move the pieces back to where we thought they were nodded, shook our heads and hit play again. Um, so we were able to, you know, just kind of, like I said, just take a load off. Um, it ended up being much more of a low stress thing. Um, then that's I great. I, I mean, obviously it's overall a stressful environment. So, um, sure. Uh, for sure. Uh, a break was well-deserved. Um, and, yeah. and did you, so any other chess games with them, like subsequent to that, or was it just that one event? No, unfortunately it was just that one event. Um, by the time we ended up getting that tournament arranged, we were about to leave. Um, so they had invited us to go and I think observe the NATO chess tournament. Cause it was being held. I, I want to say it was in either Warsaw or Krakow that year. Um, I could have that wrong, but they invited us to go and observe their team play, uh, which unfortunately we weren't able to make. Um, but yeah, we were all definitely willing to, they were willing to as well. So, you know, if we ever end up going back, I'm sure I'll be able to reach out again and try to set something up. Wow. that That's an amazing, amazing story. And could you tell me, Chris, like a little bit more about the venue? Like where, where did you, where was the match? It was, it was at their, I think the equivalent of their brigade headquarters, essentially. Um, just kind of think of, office building with a, a rec space kind of set aside in it. So, um, yeah, it was, it was actually a very impressive building, um, much better than the American military buildings that I'm used to. Um, very impressive. Uh, but yeah, just, it was tucked to the side in their, uh, in their headquarters. So they were right at home. That's awesome. And you mentioned, um, to me that you felt, and actually, so when you sent the email, you emailed me like late last year, where was that in relation to like when this uh, tournament had taken place? So I want to say the tournament was early June, I think. Okay. Um, so it was probably a couple months removed uh, at that point. I think it was home. Um, if I was able to start listening to the podcast again, hear your, your call for submission. Okay. And how do you think back on it now? Like has your perspective changed with, with distance at all? Yeah, I, I think I appreciate it even more. Um, cause like I said, it, it started off in that tournament being fully about the chess and going into win. Um, but as I mentioned to you in the email, I've had to sort of step away, you know, from competitive and I don't want to say competitive chess per se, but really striving for chess improvement, uh, over the last couple of months with, you know, everything in life that goes on. Um, and it, what it really helped me realize is that the, 
the thing that I enjoyed the most about chess wasn't necessarily going in and seeing some arbitrary number improve. It was about really getting to connect with the people on the other side of the board, um, bridge those cultural gaps and find some real leisure where it was, wasn't just turning off my brain and, you know, scrolling through social media. It was, you know, getting to relax and take that real load off, um, and recharge with people with, you know, shared values, shared interests. Um, and that's really impacted me to this day where if I'm, you know, not taking that much time to, you know, do puzzles or follow along the YouTube videos or lessons or things of that nature, I'm able to, you know, maybe sit down with a buddy from high school and, you know, play a game of chess or get together with some other friends and play some four player just for fun. Um, finding that time to really enjoy chess for chess rather than for the number and for the improvement, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's a fantastic perspective. And obviously it frees up a lot of time too, when you have such a a healthy (laughs) perspective, not, not to say that your time is so free. I mean, as you've described, you've got plenty going on, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so many of the people I interview are sacrificing so much um, and uh, you know, in order to, to try to get better at chess. And obviously as long as um, it's a, they feel it's a net positive, I'm on board with that. But uh, there, there are situations where um, it's just not realistic, you know? Yeah. I mean, there were days when I, I got back home and I was, I was still riding the tournament high. I was like, all right, let's do this. Let's, let's go get really good and you know, so on and so forth. And I'd come home from a long day at work and, you know, I'd already be completely fried. My brain was not firing on, you know, more than one cylinder, honestly, at that point. Um, and I'd sit down and try to play a game online with some random stranger and it would just be more stress than it was worth. Um, so yeah, like I said, getting that, that real connection with people is definitely, you know, what draws me back to it every time I get over the board. Yeah. And the beauty of that mindset is you don't have to worry, like that will always be there, you know, like you, you might not play chess for 10 years and, Maybe the next time you play, you'd be a hundred points weaker. But um, guess what? It doesn't matter if you're, you know, if it's just a way to meet people, you know, to bridge gaps, as you say, uh, within communities. So yeah, it's a it's a very healthy perspective, and definitely one of the things that I love about the game. Absolutely. Now, w- now we have a related question from a Patreon sub, and some of this you just touched on, but I will read the question because the sure. second half. Uh, you haven't as much. So okay. this one is from Richard Burgess. Thanks for supporting the pod, Richard. And he asks, he says, first of all, he also wants to thank you for your service. Thank you, uh, and and he says, he's not in the military, but the idea of balancing chess with a career commitment and graduate study really resonates with him because he's in the process of completing a PhD in engineering. Yeah, probably not the best time to chase the grandmaster title, Richard. No. <laughs> So he says, uh, I wonder how you keep perspective on the time you can and cannot spend on chess. And do you think playing, studying chess will improve your graduate work in psychology? If, if so, how, if not, why not? So again, I, you know, you can answer what you wanted, but especially the second half to me. Yeah, did for not sure. address. Um, yeah. Managing the time, uh, you know, like I alluded to, it, it definitely gets challenging. Um, for the second half though, uh, I think, Chess in and of itself is a really good tool insofar as it helps you get your brain active, right? I think as, as we pursue a lot of leisure time, we're much more prone to just turn off our brains rather than keep them engaged to some degree. So being able to keep my brain engaged longer definitely helps me, you know, pursue that focus through my studies, through work, so on and so forth. Um, chess specific skills less so, um, you know, I have not yet seen the point where, uh, you know, knowing how to pin a knight 
necessarily relates to my essay that I'm writing, but I do look forward to the day where that gets to come in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, well, you've, you've got your, your career ahead of you, so it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see. And I know you mentioned that you're often, you're often tired from other responsibilities. So, um, and a healthy mindset about not necessarily being interested in seeing the number next to your name or chess.com handle go up. But do you still like, do you ever watch chess videos for fun these days? Like, do you ever use it as a way to, to unwind or is your life at a point where like, it's just kind of on the back burner? Yeah, I'll say less so with the videos. Um, I've tried to break away from, you know, spending my time in the evening zoned out, kind of like I alluded to, but one of those things where, you know, like I mentioned, you know, when I get to go home um, and, and when I'm spending time with people, that's been one way, actually my father-in-law and I have gotten to, to connect a little bit. So at the end of those long days, um, you know, running around visiting everybody, we, uh, you know, we'll break the board out. We'll play a couple games and just, you know, kind of relax that way. Um, other ways, you know, there's a few books that I'll still leave through from time to time. Um, the Logical Chess Move by Move uh, has been a really fun one because yeah. you can really think through the games or you can just kind of watch them play out and appreciate just the, the simple beauty of a lot of what those games are. Um, so that's been that's been something I've turned to as well. Yeah, that, that's definitely a classic. And, and the Yasser books, um, there's different ones that are different levels. When you read it, did you feel like you were able to to follow it for the most part? Yeah, for the most part, I'd say. Um, and if I'm remembering correctly, the sort of cumulative portion at the end is broken down into certain rank sections. Um, so I was usually able to get the first couple sections down and then I'd start getting progressively challenged toward the end. So it was definitely at the point where I was at um, one of those books that I'd have to go back and play through two or three times to really get through, you know, all of the lessons and make sure they stuck. Um, but even on a first read, they were they were workable and I was able to get something out of it for sure. Okay. And correct. And so you played this tournament in Poland, you played in your school program briefly, um, before sports took over, but have you ever played like a formal tournament in the States? uh, I have not. No. Um, we have a a small chess league, uh, here in the town that I'm from. Um, but it's, it's few and far between, uh, that they actually have a rated event from what I understand. I think the closest thing to me might be either, either Raleigh or or Charlotte. I know has a, a big chess playing population. Um, but that's been a little bit too far out of the way to get to. Um, yeah. At least yeah. at this point. And do you think you'd, I'm, I know you, again, I know you have a lot going on in the near future, but um, do you think uh, you'd ever try, are you interested in trying one someday? Absolutely. I am. Yeah. And, uh, and like I mentioned before, uh, when we were talking in the pre-interview portion, um, you know, I'm, we're expecting, my wife and I are expecting twin girls. Um, so I'm hoping that at least one of them enjoys chess someday and I'll either get to demonstrate for them you know the dad likes to play in a chess tournament and that's something you should try too and then hopefully someday get to take them to tournaments of their own okay yeah and for listeners that was one of the activities the bit things keeping him busy i was alluding to i didn't want to break chris's news uh, for <laughs> for him um so when is uh when is your wife due if- um sometime in about the next month or so uh depending on okay. how long the girls want to cook for yep <laughs> excellent yeah and that can be a, a great way to uh to further your interest when the time comes. Um, I think uh, five, five to seven to eight, I think is a great time to, to introduce kids. Yeah. And hopefully to... they fare better than I did in my second grade chess tournament for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so when you sat down in Poland to play, were you, were you nervous? Terrified. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I think the most intimidating part was the fact that there was a seven year old there that was outperforming 
all of us. Um, and not only was he an incredible chess player, he played very professionally. Like it was almost like watching a grandmaster walk on, you know, he'd, he'd you know, shake your hand sit down. He gestured to the board for me to sit down. I was like, okay, wow, this is, this is legit. Um, this kid knows what's up. And then he had, he had a death stare. I'm telling you, um, <laughs> the, the way that he would look at us while we were thinking about our moves was one of the most terrifying things I have ever experienced in my life. Well, that unfortunately doesn't go away. It'll probably, <laughs> whenever you make it to a chess tournament, another seven-year-old will be waiting to, uh, At least to give continuity. you a, yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that's really funny. Um, so do you play any other strategy games, Chris? Um, I dabbled in magic, um, for a little bit with that same boss that was on the West Point chess team. He was really, really big into magic. Um, so we, he'd you know loan me a deck and we'd play that um, but i never really got super into that um chess has been really the one big strategy game that's gotten me okay um and how, how'd you get into perpetual t- chess dare i ask i'm not sure if i if it came up you know maybe on youtube that someone mentioned it or if i was just you know on a long car ride and happened to be looking for chess podcasts and it popped up um but yeah i think it was by chance and i'm very grateful that that chance occurred yeah, so am I. It's been amazing to to hear your story. And I know you mentioned you you try not to watch a lot of chess YouTube, but do you have favorite content creators or did you avoid it enough where like you, you can't even name anyone? No, I, I was a big Gotham chess uh, watcher for a while there, definitely early on. Um, he's super entertaining and absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. And then over in Poland, I started getting into uh, the, I think it was the Astro Zero One videos on the St. Louis Chess Club um, yeah. YouTube account. Those are incredible lectures. Um, that was really great tournament prep, just being able to absorb more from the guy that I was reading his book. Um, so that was super cool. Nice. And yeah, Yasser's a legend. And yeah, the St. Louis Chess Club videos are such a treasure trove, although they are fairly advanced. So when you're watching a video like that, Chris, like, how do you handle it if he says something that you don't understand? Do you just keep plowing through, rewind it? What do you do? Um, I I think it would depend on the mindset I was in. Um, If I was there, you know, for entertainment purposes, just to, you know, just to watch something to watch something, I'd I'd go on and see if I could piece it together later on. Um, You know, other times I'd take note maybe of the game that he was going through or, you know, just kind of take a note to myself to look up, you know, whatever the particular topic matter might have been. Um, And other times I'd just accept that that was not something I was ever going to, you know, need to use in the game in the near future. And, you know, I'd come back to it when I was a thousand points higher rated than I am now. (laughs) Okay. And to the extent that you were working on your chess, like when you were putting some time in, I'm curious, like how much time you put in and uh, what you gravitated towards. Yeah. um, It would probably range anywhere depending on the work day that I had had between about half an hour and an hour. Um, per day, uh, if I was able to get it in, um, if I was able to take a quick break at work, you know, crank out a couple puzzles just here and there. Um, but primarily I'd say I focused on tactics, um, is, is the bulk of my training. Um, and then some game analysis when I had the opportunity to sit down and go through past games that I'd played. Um, of course, like any good beginner, I tried to learn openings and that never went well for me. So, um, you know, for, as a recommendation to anybody else out there rated around 800 or so, don't need to worry about openings all that much. Just uh, control the center and, you know, play principle. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that <laughs> advice. And yeah, they're like, a, openings are often like a siren song. So it's oh, good that you didn't, that you didn't get sucked in. Um, I'm just trying to think if I have any other chess questions, Chris, it's been um, 
been amazing to hear your story. And yeah, it's really a, a, a breath of fresh air compared. I mean, obviously, I love hearing the stories of people working hard on their games as well. But it's it's nice to to get a, a fresh perspective. Yeah, and, and I hope that's, a, you know, a point of view that I can share and impress on anybody else that's around my rating range that might be feeling that external pressure to really improve. Um, I enjoy chess so much more having taken that step back, recollected myself and really looked at enjoying it for what it is rather than for that external pressure. Um, so, you know, anybody that's out there that might be, you know, feeling that way, it's okay. There are other people like that too. And, you know, you will improve more if you're enjoying the game for sure. That's fantastic advice. And let me ask you, as you look back on that period, Chris, was there was there anyone that actually cared? Because that's one thing that any tournament player has to grapple with. You know, you you feel this tenseness when you play, and then you have to remind yourself, like, no one cares, you know? Exactly. Like, just, yeah. just do your thing. Even though we all got whooped by a seven-year-old, uh, we all walked away smiling um, and can laugh about it. And, you know, like I said, it was that breath of fresh air that became many breaths of fresh air. Um that I think we all needed at, uh, at that point in our lives. Excellent. All right. Well, Chris, it's been, been, like I said, fantastic to hear your story strikes me as a very, uh, healthy perspective. Um, I feel like we, we've got everything covered. Um, Oh, I did want to ask you when you play casual games, um, that you've mentioned, like with your father-in-law, um, do you, how does, because again, this gets back to sort of the pure days of, casual chess no clocks no notation no ratings like how do you handle the speed of the game like um do you play people who are too slow do people move right away what's the etiquette around that i think for the most part both parties will take it too slow um and that's one thing i think even when i play with my father-in-law or with my brother or some of my buddies from from back home um, we'll just, we'll really take our time and we'll be really deliberate. And, you know, sometimes we'll wait 15 minutes to make a move, just getting lost in conversation, or we'll wait 15 minutes to make a move, just staring at a board. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we understand we're there for, for a good time and we don't mind so much when it, it starts to drag on a little bit. It's almost more enjoyable that way. Okay. Yeah. Again, a healthy approach. And I guess some of the time, like the circumstances where you're sitting around when you're stationed, it actually could be a benefit if it takes a long time. For sure. For sure. <laughs> okay. Um, well, excellent, Chris. Um, if you ever do decide to play a tournament, I would love to to hear about it. You know, again, given that you've got two little ones on the way, um, I personally wouldn't recommend taking it up in the next, say, four to five years at least. But, yeah. but you know, I'm not planning on stopping this podcast any soon, anytime soon. So uh, hopefully we can uh, we can keep in touch. Absolutely, yeah. I'll keep you posted on how everything goes, either either mine or theirs, depending on uh, <laughs> oh, who yeah, beats me exactly. to the board. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, Chris, it's been like I said, awesome to hear your story. Really appreciate it. Uh, anything to add before we say goodbye? No. Thank you again so much for having me on. This was fantastic. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.